things can be so annoying. They can be frustrating. All these different things that go on. Say you have a project at work and you're really kind of battening down the hatches and you're going forward, forward towards it and then someone knocks on your door. Someone breaks into the office and interrupts you, right? Or, or you're at home with the kids and the kids just keep interrupting you trying to get your attention to do something and you just get annoyed even frustrated with these different interruptions. Or think about these different times when you, you see this window of time that you've got for yourself. You're going to read a book, you're going to watch a movie, you're going to catch a game, and then someone stops by, someone calls, someone interrupts your schedule, right? We've all been there. and We all know the feeling when we've got these different things going on. And probably many of us have not really noticed, but maybe in the back of your mind you have, you're reading through the Gospels and you're reading about the life of Jesus. And doesn't it seem like he's always being interrupted? I mean, to be honest, sometimes I wonder if Jesus really had a plan it seemed like his only plan was at some point to go to Jerusalem and die because everything else was an interruption. I mean, just think about these different interruptions. You, we get him in a, a wedding. He's having fun with family and friends and he's just enjoying the wedding until he gets interrupted by his mother and says, hey, there's a problem. We need some more wine, right? Or, or he's, he's on his way to Jericho and he's got... Whatever reason he's going to Jericho, there's a man on the side of the road named Bartimaeus calling out to him, and he gets interrupted. He gets stopped right where he is and called back to deal with this blind person, Bartimaeus. Or sometimes there's these interruptions that get piled on in interruptions. So Jesus is teaching, and he gets interrupted by a ruler who comes to him and says, hey, my daughter died. I know that you could raise her from the dead. I know you could raise her up. So what happens? He deviates from his teaching. He starts heading towards the house to heal or raise the daughter. And then someone grabs his cloak and interrupts him again. So it's interruption on interruption. And so this woman is grabbing him, and of course, you know the story, he heals her, and then he goes on to the other interruption, and then raises this little girl up from the dead, and then he goes on and does his thing. Or another time, he's coming down from this mountain from prayer, and, and this guy that's got leprosy calls out to him and says, I know you could make me clean, and there's the interruption again. And it just seems like there's interruption after interruption after interruption. It just feels like his whole life is one big interruption. Unless, unless there's something else going on. Perhaps, I mean just perhaps, maybe he's listening to God the Father who is interrupting him in the moment to say, I have a divine appointment for you. Could it be that these are not interruptions, but they're divine appointments, and God wants us to learn from His Son how we should live 
that he has divine appointments for us. Now, many of us may be familiar with Henry Nouwen. He, he was a great prolific writer. He taught at Yale. He taught at Harvard. He taught at Notre Dame. And he said, he said this towards the end of his life. He said, all of my life, I complained about interruptions. And then I realized that's why I'm here. Divine appointments again. This morning, we're going to look at what I think is a divine appointment in the Gospels with the person of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And many of us are familiar with the story. Many people look at it from a lot of different directions. What I'd like to do this morning is, is do a dive into this story that many of us are familiar with and look at some details and see how God might be working. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm going to read the first 14 verses here. It says in verse 1, Therefore, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria called a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan, Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you... Being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it? Himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him shall never thirst. But the water that I'll give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for you to speak loudly that we might hear what you're doing in this work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Well, as you know, we are in this series and, and we're trying to tie it and look at Fox Valley Church on mission and that becomes a big part of all that we're doing this summer. And so what we see at the beginning here, right, is Jesus is down in Judea and he is going up to Galilee. So he's heading north in Israel. I just want to give you a little bit of a visual here. And most of the time, the Jews would come up on this side of the, the map here, right? You see this, this dotted line? And uh, 
So you see, they'd skirt it. They'd go along the Jordan River. But what we see here is that Jesus is going straight through to through Samaria. And, and you got the feel of the passage. I don't have to say a whole lot about this, right? The Samaritans, just so you know, they were a group of Jews, right, that had somehow steered away from the main path of Judaism. And they held on to the first five books. We call that the Pentateuch. They held on to the first five books of the Pentateuch, or, or the Bible, the Old Testament. And they didn't hold on to the poems, like the books of poetry, that we have. They didn't read the historical books. They didn't read the wisdom literature. And they certainly didn't read the prophets. So they were, they were locked in there. And so there was now this break. And of course, we'll read in a little bit, is that they worshipped at Mount Gerizim rather than in Jerusalem. So there was this break going on. And this woman, as we begin to see, is near or at the well. Jacob's well. Now that was dug like 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus. And there's a long story with just that well getting dug. But what we begin to feel is this racial tension. But there's not only a racial tension in this passage, right? There, there's a gender tension. Men typically wouldn't address women in this kind of setting and certainly wouldn't want to be alone with this woman. And then we're going to see there's other dynamics at play with this. So there's a lot of factors, right? Ethic, uh, ethnic factors, gender issues, racial issues, and all of this is wrapped up into this uh, passage that we're looking at. So as we think about it this morning, and when we're talking about it, is the first thing I'd like to bring out is that God interrupts our lives for divine appointments. Now what I want you to see is that Jesus is certainly got his plan, right? He is going to move from Judea in the south up into Galilee in the north. So as we think, there's a few things that come out, and we'll have to just look at this uh, kind of from a broad brush place here, is that we find in verse 1 is that Jesus learned that the Pharisees um, were watching Jesus, and the Pharisees knew that Jesus was making more disciples than John, right? So there was a popularity issue. They were well aware of what John was preaching and what he was doing, and all of a sudden they say, wow, there's a new rabbi on the scene, a new teacher, and more people are following him, and he is uh, baptizing more people, or his disciples were. But then we also see, then verse 4, is that it says very clearly that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase, right? We could look at that in a lot of different ways in verse 4. We could just say, you know, he, he was short on time. We could say that, you know, he just wanted to make the, the path as short as possible, not necessarily because of time, but because he was tired, because it was hot, it was a season, and he just needed to get through rather than do what a lot of Jews did, was uh, skirt around. But it says that he had to pass through. I just wonder, right? I just wonder if there was something that God was doing and speaking into his life, maybe those little whispers that says, I've got someone I need you to meet. I've got someone that I need you to connect with, right? Now, you and I get these whispers as well. You could be with someone for a few minutes, and you'll just be impressed by God 
speak to this person. Talk to them. Maybe they need encouragement. Maybe they need a word from God, right? I mean, we don't always know exactly what's going on, but whatever it is, if we just read this as from a human standpoint, he had to pass, I think we're going to miss a little bit of the divine authorship that God had a plan for this. And of course, by the end of the story, we'll begin to see more of the plan and why the had to pass becomes more clear. The last, and we didn't read this because it's in verse 34, but Jesus' food is to do the Father's will. And we'll get to that later in in the story. But the reason I want to bring it out here is that Jesus' food, the thing that drove Him, the thing that enabled Him was what? To do the Father's will. To act to do what God wanted him to do. Over and over, he says, I don't operate on my own initiative. I only do what the Father wants me to do. Well, shouldn't that be true of us? It should be true of us that we are doing what God wants us to do and accomplish His works. But what happens to all of us, right? We get so busy with life. We get so consumed with what we're doing. All of a sudden, what matters most to us is what we're doing and what happens to God and what He's doing. Well, He kind of ends up on the side. And so what we begin here is that Jesus is living with some intentionality. He's living with the intention, I'm going to do what the Father wants me to do because that is the food that God has given me. Well, not only is there an intentionality, let me also say that there is a divine appointment, right? We get into verse 7, and there came a woman to Samaria to draw water. Now, this raises all kinds of questions because we read that it was at noon which would not have been the normal time for anyone to draw water because it's hot. It's intensely hot. Having been in Israel in the hottest season, let me just tell you, it is hot. And you know how I want to describe it, but I'll just leave that phrase alone. (laughs) Right? So that was an unnatural time to be there, but this woman's there. But there's another element that's going on. She's alone. That would not typically be the way this would happen. Usually the women would come for water earlier in the morning and they would be traveling together. Reasons would be for safety, but also for socialization. Being together, doing some of the same activities together. So you can begin to see that Jesus is moving into Samaria and there's some strange events happening. He notices. There's things happening around us all the time. But the question is, do we notice? Are we observant to what's going on and what is happening as God is bringing us? But let's go a little further. We read verses 13 and 14, so let's look at them again. Jesus said to her, now I want to break in here because Jesus initiates. Jesus initiates this conversation. He's watching. He sees her alone at the well. He's there. He's tired. He's been traveling. And he sits down. The disciples are gone. 
Is that an accident that they're gone? Is it an accident that he sent them for food so that he could be alone for a moment? I mean, like all of a sudden, there's either a lot of coincidences or somehow you're going to have to conclude, man, God is at work. And by the end of the story, we say, yeah, God is at work. He's doing amazing things. So Jesus initiates. I want to just pause right here. We're in this series and we're talking about talking to people far from God about God. People far from Him, and we want to do it. And a lot of times, we measure whether we're successful by results. That is a bad measurement. The measurement I think we should use at Fox Alley Church is this, because God looks at the heart, and that's what we looked at last week, right? Psalm 4, the reason we care is because God cares. Remember we talked about that? And so God's looking at the heart. So successful witnessing or successful evangelism is merely taking the initiative in the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. Whatever God wants to do, He will do. But it's our job to live by faith. And so that's why I say taking the initiative in the power of the Spirit. And I want to keep bringing that home because anything we do at Fox Valley Church, we want to do in the power of the Spirit because everything else you do that is not of the Spirit is going to burn. It's going to just burn up. It's going to go away. It's going to mean nothing. So when you stand before the Lord and all of us will stand before the Lord one day to give an account, none of that stuff's going to matter if you don't do it in the power of the Spirit, if you don't do it by faith, right? So successful witnessing is taking the initiative in the power of the Spirit and just saying, okay, God, whatever you do with it, you do, but I'm going to be found faithful. That's what Jesus does. He just launches. Well, they're at the well, so as we talk about how to do these different things, we're going to see that it's always helpful if we use things that are going on in our immediate life, in our immediate experience, in the moment. So when we talk about 3D living, right, you've heard us talk about this, develop friendships or develop relationships. That's what Jesus is doing. He's just taking the initiative to break the ice, to reach out to someone and say hello. Now, is that so bad to be friendly? Can Christians be friendly out there? Could we be kind and, and reach out? That's what Jesus does, right? The second D is what? Discover their story. Discover their story. That's what Jesus is going to do here. Now we're going to see how this works out in a moment, but he he discovers her story. And the last thing of the three Ds, right? The first is just be friendly, develop friendships or develop relationships, discover their stories, take an interest. People love telling their stories. They love asking. Remember I told you the story when uh, last week we were being doing some texting. I told you the story of the last time I shared Christ, right? The last time I did this was just a week and a half ago. And I had a care worker in my mom's hospital room. And it was just, tell me your story, Megan. Just tell me. I want to hear something about you, right? And I didn't say it that way. I said, how did you become a care worker? How did you get involved in this, right? You're taking the situation in the moment and you're trying to listen to their story. And that's what Jesus does. He's taking water and he says, but hey, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again. But I've got something 
Now here's the hook, right? He says, I've got some water and you'll never, never thirst again, right? And he says that right here, never thirst again, but the water that I'll give him will become in him a well of water. So Jesus is now moving it from the experience into the spiritual, into the supernatural, right? He's taking a normal natural thirst and he's bringing it and he says that it will spring up to eternal life. And of course, that's exactly where he wants to go. Now, all of us have people around us constantly. Will you let some of those be interruptions in your life? Would you be willing to say maybe some of these times are divine appointments that God has uniquely set up for you? Would you be willing to not blow through the stop sign and pause Maybe not do a California stop for a change and just say, God's bringing people around me that I could talk to. That's a big step. It's a big step for me because I can get going with so many things. There's so many things. My wife is constantly reminding me, man, you're just a little impatient, aren't you, right? Like there's always something. And so what we want to do is recognize that God has some different things for us. Well, that's the first area. The second is this. That is that God exposes our deep thirst. God is always wanting us to recognize there's something going on behind what's going on. There's always something that's a little below the waterline. There's something happening that we should be paying attention to. And that's what we begin to see in the story. As we look there, let me just read a little bit more. Follow along. I'm going to read verses 15 to 23. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Well, of course she does. He's saying, I've got water that you'll never thirst again. Now, is she making the connections? Probably not. But Jesus is bringing her into a spiritual conversation. He says, Sir, give me this water so I'll not be thirsty, nor come all the way to draw water. So what happens? He says to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now that's a very interesting phrase, right? Because up to this point, we don't know anything about husbands, about her life. But before I comment, let's read just a little bit more. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, I know you're going to have to take this by faith, but if you're walking in the power of the Spirit, sometimes you can call this discernment, sometimes you could say it's a word of knowledge, but God begins to reveal things that you need to know for that divine appointment. I could tell you story after story of things where I'm like, God is organizing, arranging, and bringing about this divine appointment. And we need to trust Him. It says in John 16 that the Spirit will guide us and lead us into all truth. And so I take that, that the Spirit is constantly at work doing things. So Jesus is listening to the whispers of his Father that this is a divine appointment. And the only explanation for Jesus knowing this is that God revealed this. Now, it doesn't mean that God's always going to reveal stuff like this. 
But there are times when he definitely does do that. So Jesus is being told this, but notice that Jesus doesn't camp on this. Now, this is not a good situation, right? Five husbands. I mean, I don't know how old this woman was. I'm not thinking they all died. And if they did, that would be a sign too of something. I've watched way too many datelines, if you know what I mean, right? (laughs) Probably she has cycled through a lot of men, or maybe a lot of men have cycled through her. But we begin to realize, if you just pull back your blinders for a moment, nobody starts out as a little girl saying, I want to be married five times to five men. There's hurt here. There's brokenness. If we bring it into the spiritual realm, we would say she's got a hunger in her soul that she's trying to satisfy. And she's trying to satisfy it maybe through men, maybe trying to figure out a family thing. Maybe she is just scared spitless and she needs someone to provide for her and to protect her. I mean, there's lots of dynamics that are going on, but something in this woman's soul is broken. But you know what? That's true of all of us. There's not one person here that doesn't have some brokenness in their soul. And God is is moving all of us to address these issues of our heart. If you don't address them, you're going to establish an idol to try to meet it. Everyone is trying to deal with the hurt and brokenness in the deepest part of their hearts. However we try to do it, some of us do it by work, some of us do it by money, some of us do it by sex, some of us use drugs, some of us use alcohol. We're constantly trying to satisfy the deepest part. So we read this and that's exactly what's going on. But let's keep going so we get the rest of the story. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah. Something's going on here. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, meaning Jews, say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. So we begin now as we see that this is going deeper into this whole area of worship. So let me bring back into a little bit of a map before I comment too much more. Right? You've got Mount Gerizim. That's the one mountain where the Samaritans were worshiping and the Jews were worshiping down here in Jerusalem in the temple. You've got two places and what Jesus does is He makes really clear that neither place is going to matter. Why? Because He's here. He's the King. But now I need you to go deeper with me. God was going further in His work that all the world would know about Him. And He could not do it if it was anchored in a location. 
He was going to unshackle the gospel so that it wouldn't be in Jerusalem and it wouldn't be in Mount Gerizim. And we could go into historical reasons why Mount Gerizim was a place of worship. But the point that Jesus is making is there's a time now with me here, there's no longer going to be worship in Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. It is going to be so that the gospel could be unleashed so you and I could go everywhere to tell people so that when the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the penalty of sin, people could be delivered from their guilt and their shame, no longer be under the power of the control of death or the fear of death, all of that would be set free. So if you're in a tribe in a small area of Africa, you wouldn't have to travel to Jerusalem. The Spirit would be there and you would see now the freedom of the gospel wherever you are. It would release the gospel in its power to go wherever. And so Jesus is bringing out these things in a clear way that there would no longer be their worship in one place. So let me just take it a little further into the passage. He says in verse 34, we didn't read this, but let me bring you back into that before I get there, is that she understood the Messiah was coming because she read the Old Testament. And the Messiah is brought up in plenty of places in the Old Testament. In uh, Genesis 50, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, right? There's places where there's this promise of God sending someone, and she was aware of it. Now, you can't go into the prophets where it really gets developed. You can't go into the Psalms where it's really developed because they weren't reading that. She was a Samaritan. So what's happening is that this woman begins to explore, and Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Well, the Samaritan woman gets all excited because Jesus tells her stuff about her life, the five husbands, and the one she's living with is not her husband. She runs back to the village, right? She runs back. The disciples come back, and the disciples are now with food, and Jesus says, my food is not this. My food is to do the will of the Father that we saw earlier. Jesus then says this. He says, I say to you, the disciples, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Do you know when you read the Gospels how many times Jesus says, I want you to look at something? Look at the birds of the air. I want you to notice the flowers. I want you to look at all these things. Jesus noticed blind people. He looked at the lame. He saw fishermen that nobody really cared about, but he did. He saw fathers that nobody cared about. He saw tax collectors. He saw grieving mothers. He looked and he noticed over and over. So when he says, open your eyes, I don't want you to hear him just talking to his disciples. I want him to be speaking to you right now. Open your eyes. People need what you have. People need to hear the message of the gospel. Open your eyes. Look, he goes further. Look on the fields. They are white for harvest. A metaphor saying God's Spirit is setting up divine appointments. Would you look around and notice what God is doing? There are people with deep aches in their soul, and you have the gospel that would help them and free them. Well, let's go a little further. The rest of the story, right? 
So she goes and tells the Samaritans back in her town of Sychar. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. Do you know how powerful that is? Remember what we saw back in verse 9? The Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And what does Jesus do? He breaks all the barriers and he says, you matter to God. You matter. And then, let's go further. He says, and he stayed with them for two days. And here's why I think it's a divine appointment. Many more believed because of his word. God had a plan. And Jesus was listening to the whispers of his Father in heaven because he only does what the Father tells him to do. Over and over, we need to see that. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said this. He said, now listen. He said, listen carefully. I say to you, the one who believes in me and the works I do, that one, the woman that believes, the man that believes, will do also greater works than these because I go to the Father. So Jesus impacts this whole village of Sychar. And Jesus is saying to you in John chapter 14, verse 12, and he's saying to me, and greater works will we do. That is powerful. So as we close this morning, why does God leave a story like this in the Bible for you and me? Why did He do it? Because He wants you and me to see what He can do when we live in the power of the Spirit. He wants you and me to believe that there is power available as we live the way He wants us to live. Not the way the world wants us to live, but the way he wants us to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thank you for Jesus' story. Thank you that he taught us about interruptions and that these interruptions, not all, but a lot of them are divine appointments. And we need to be ready to be at work, to do what you're doing, that these stories matter and that there's this power that's available to us as we walk in the power of the Spirit. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.